You're listening to an audio resource from Vineyard Church of the Rockies in Fort Collins, Colorado. We are joining God's mission, transforming all things, and you're invited. To learn more about us and how you can connect, please visit votr.church. If you've never met before, my name is Jeff. I'm the lead pastor here at the Vineyard. And as Bristow mentioned, we're starting a new series today about knowing God's will. Knowing God's will. If you think about your life as a landscape or it spread over the years and years and years, right? Any given moment in our lives, we're making decisions. We're making big decisions. We're making small decisions. We make decisions that feel like they only impact us, but we know better than that. They impact a variety of folks around us. And, and we make decisions that, that seem like they have giant impacts for us, maybe for the years to come, and then other smaller decisions that maybe only impact us for a day or a few hours. We're always making decisions, and knowing God's will for our lives is a prayer that most of us have. And it's really, it's essential to being able to follow Christ and live a life that honors God. This series, it's going to be a quick hitter. It's just going to be two Sundays. I want to encourage you to try to get both of these Sundays in because they're going to work one after the other. They kind of fit hand in glove together. So I want to encourage you to try to try to get both of those and string them together so that we can better understand what God is inviting us to do. And it fits perfectly in just the normal schedule of our lives, right? I mean, tons of people this weekend and next weekend are celebrating graduations. And when we celebrate graduations, uh, if you're graduating, one question I promise you're going to hear over and over and over again is, what are you doing next? Well, what are you doing next? What are you doing next? What are you doing next? And our culture has such a, a quick page turn. It's like we could stop and pause for a moment and maybe say, congratulations, or Let's just really embrace the party and the season that we could celebrate together, but we don't do that very well. Instead, it's like, what's next? What's next? What are you going to do next? And that can be overwhelming. It can be overwhelming because sometimes we just don't know. We just don't know what's next. I would love it if every graduation party I went to this year, if when I heard that question asked, what are you doing next? They just said, yeah, I really have no idea. I really have no idea, but I'm just going to live in this moment. I'm going to embrace this moment. It's okay if you don't know what's next. And truthfully, all of us, we all need help knowing and discerning what God's will is for our lives. One of the best things that we can do as we navigate discerning God's will and knowing God's will, I think one of the best things that we can do as a church, as a, as a Bible preacher, as a, as a community of, of folks who ascribe to this Christian faith, one of the most important things we can do is we can actually demystify knowing God's will a little bit. Let's just demystify knowing God's will just a little bit. Some of us, we get way too stressed out when we're trying to discover God's will. And then what happens when we really lean in is we can even misappropriate God's plans for things and, and like apply them to things that truthfully aren't that big of a deal. Like imagine standing in your closet and praying and asking God, what shirt should I wear today? What shirt should I wear? Is this an appropriate preaching shirt, Lord? Or should I, should I get a different, like, I don't know. It probably doesn't matter that much. And if you, do, if you ask that question and you don't hear from God, then what are you going to do? Like all of a sudden, you got, like, you're just going out on a whim. Like you have, and then you talk to my youngest, my youngest daughter. She changes clothes three times a day. 
So she either has a really high view of God's sovereignty or she thinks he's confused because he's asking her to change all the time. Like, I don't know where that fits into the plans of God's will, right? I mean, my son, my son, he's about to go into middle school. So this is happening in a real way. You can pray for the Faust house, y'all, because this is, I know many of you have done this already. I know it's going to be okay, but this is a whole, it's a whole new territory for us. We're getting ready to send our first into middle school. And he came home with a packet. He visited the middle school. He came home with a packet. And I was like, I was shaken myself. I had to really convince him that it wasn't a big deal because they had a timeline from him, for him from sixth grade to college. And he could pick a couple classes that would impact what he picked next year and the year after that and the year after that and how high school would be. And the next thing you know, he's ready for college. And I had to tell him, Kingston, it doesn't matter. Moses didn't find out what he was doing with the rest of his life till he was 80 years old. <laughs> Sixth grade math and band, like have at it. We can pray for it. We can trust God. But you know what? It's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. Knowing God's will, it, it doesn't matter what age, what stage you're in, you're confronted with all of these decisions. And it can be overwhelming. And one of the reasons why I think it's overwhelming, decision fatigue aside, but one of the reasons why it can be overwhelming, I believe, is that we, we, we think that if we make a mistake, that somehow we're doomed. Like we make one bad mistake, we make one slip up, and then all of a sudden, the trajectory of my life is now forever changed. I just think we just need to like take the pressure off a little bit about knowing God's will. We need to demystify this a little bit, lower the stakes, because we all know this in our head, but I'm going to say it out loud anyway, because I want it to land for you in your heart. You're not more powerful than God, okay? You are not more powerful than God. Your best ideas aren't as good as you think they are, okay? And your mistakes Somehow we label them as irredeemable. They're not irredeemable. God is the master of redeeming all things. You are not more powerful than God. I can promise you that for every decision that you make where you prayed and you sought God and you felt like you heard from him and then you obeyed and, and you really felt like you were in his will, I mean, those are moments to celebrate and those are moments to cherish. But for every one of those moments, you're going to have a hundred imperfect decisions. You're going to have a hundred other half-baked, short-sighted and silly decisions too. And God is in the business of redeeming it all. He already knows the successes you're going to have. He's aware of your mistakes. He is still God. He still loves you. Jesus still came to die for you. You are not more powerful than God's plans for your life. And it doesn't mean that knowing God's will isn't important. Of course it's important. It's incredibly important. I just want to take some pressure off of your shoulders, right? Because as much as we crave knowing God's will and we, we want it and we seek it and we, we run after it, I, I want us to, like, it would be a good thing if at the end of this series we all realize to some degree it might be easier to stumble into God's will than we realize. Like, it might actually be easier to just fall forward into God's will. And if you want to know, if concretely, if you want to know what God's will is for your life, I mean, the best, the best place to start is to look at the life and teachings of Jesus Christ. Who, by the way, basically summarized his plan and his call and his will for your life in two simple words. In two simple, Jesus was the master at using small phrases to change the world, right? That one time he said, be healed, and the leper's life was 
completely changed. Or be forgiven. I mean, imagine two small words, incredible freedom. Be forgiven. There's two words that impact all of our lives. And Jesus summarized our calling and his will for our life in these two simple words. The most powerful words, I think, that he spoke, follow me. Follow me. Two simple words that Jesus spoke 2,000 years ago. And by the way, he's still speaking to us today in this room, online. These are the words of Jesus Christ, his will for your life. Follow me. This is an invitation that has been changing lives ever since he first spoke them. But what does that mean? What does it mean to follow him? What does it mean to follow him when you're 12 or when you're 18? What does it mean to follow him in the next decade of your life? What does it mean for me to follow him as I pass through this church or, or for you to follow him in your career or your family or your neighborhood? And then as you, as you age in life, what does it mean to follow him in your 70s or 80s or 90s? These are questions that all of us have to wrestle with. But we can never go far from these two words, follow me. Follow me, this invitation from Christ, it helps us discover his will. Of course, it leads us to salvation. It means that upon giving your life to Christ, upon deciding to follow him, you'll do as best as you can to follow his ways and follow his teachings and follow his voice. And it won't be perfect because none of us are perfect. But the intention of your heart and the arrow of your heart is pointed towards him. And you begin to make decisions that you're not going to create your own plans and you're not going to follow your own ideas. You're going to lay those down and you're going to surrender those because you want to follow his plans and his purposes. And when you decide to do this, you are promised the gift of eternal life. You're promised an eternal relationship with God. This is the single most important decision that you'll ever make. And every other decision about every other purpose and calling will fit under this first decision. Will you decide to follow Jesus? If you've never made a decision to follow Christ, not just believe in Jesus, but actually follow him with your life, then like we do every Sunday we gather, we're going to give you an opportunity to make that first time commitment this morning. And whether you're in person, in this room, or whether you're online, this seems like people are giving their life to Christ every Sunday we gather. And this is a decision that will promise you eternity, but it's also, it's also a relationship that starts today. And of course, knowing God's will, right, it, it's, it does promise us salvation with him forever. But the beautiful thing about a relationship with Jesus is that he wants to interact in our daily lives. He wants to have a true relationship with us. The words follow me impact us for eternity, but they begin to play out the moment you give your life to Christ. See, he died and was resurrected so that you would be saved forever, but he also died and was resurrected so that he could enter into your life right now and walk with you from this day forward. And that's where we begin to ask the question, like, what does God want for me today? 
What does God want for me right here and right now? What kind of decisions can I make today that will honor him and bless him and glorify him? And, and, and how can I discern, how can I know God's will if I'm standing at a crossroads in my life and, and, I'm, a, and I'm about to make a key decision that feels like it's going to impact me moving forward? How do I know God's will in those moments? Because if it's just for heaven, then... I mean, that's glorious, but let's experience the leadership of Jesus in our lives today as well. If you want to know God's will, if you want to discern and discover what his plan is for your life, there's a prayer for that. There's a prayer for that that's found in these scriptures. It's one of my favorite prayers. I feel like it's one of the best prayers that I pray, and it's because I didn't write it. I stole it from the Bible. And I've said this many times, and you're going to get annoyed with how often I tell you, but the best prayers are stolen from the Bible. So just read the Bible, steal the prayers, and pray them over your life. This is a prayer that I've memorized, and I pray over myself. I pray over this church. And I'm going to read it in a moment, and many of you have probably heard me pray it over you when we've discerned God's will together. Because it's a prayer that I love going back to, and I know God wants to answer. It's from the book of Colossians. In chapter 1, and I'm going to read the whole prayer starting in verse 9. So we have not stopped praying for you since we first heard about you. We ask God to give you complete knowledge of his will and to give you spiritual wisdom and understanding. Then the way you live will always honor and please the Lord, and your lives will produce every kind of good fruit. All the while, you will grow as you learn to know God better and better. We also pray that you will be strengthened with all his glorious power, so you will have all the endurance and patience you need. May you be filled with joy, always thanking the Father. He has enabled you to share in the inheritance that belongs to his people who live in the light, for he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear Son, who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins." What an amazing prayer. Colossians 1, 9 through 14. Pray it over yourself. Pray it over your family. Pray it over this spiritual community. And anytime someone asks you for for prayer about a decision that they're going to make, pray this prayer over their life. As followers of Christ, this this is like the perfect prayer for us, right? We all aim to honor and please God. We all need to be strengthened. We all want to receive joy, joy that comes from the Lord, joy that comes from heaven onto earth. And I love how it finishes. It says, for he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness, transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. I mean, this this is a prayer for salvation. It's a prayer that I would invite you to, to join me in praying over our city. But it's also a prayer about knowing God's will. It's also a prayer about being able to discern his plan and his will for our lives. Verse 9, I pray that you would be filled with the knowledge of God's will. That you'd be filled with the knowledge of God's will. That you would have wisdom and understanding that comes directly from him for your life. And implied in verse 9 is this really important truth that we all need to recognize, we all need to hear this morning, and it's that God's will for your life can be known. 
We sometimes think it's some great mystery that's somewhere up in the clouds and maybe we'll be able to pull some of that down and live some of it out in our life. But listen, according to verse nine and according to this prayer, God's will for your life is knowable. You can know it and discern it and discover it in partnership with God. Although you can stumble forward into God's will and out of his grace, he will bless you with that. You don't have to scratch and claw and try to keep digging out of hills to discover God's will. It can be known, it can be followed, and it will be blessed by God, his will for your life. But defining what that means, right? Defining what the will of God means, what that phrase means, I think that's gonna be an important step in this journey. Because if you don't kind of define the terms of what you're talking about, I mean, God's will is like an ocean before you and you stand before it and there's just like an enormous amount of things that you could talk about when you're talking about God's will. And a lot of theologians and a lot of writers have, have spent a lot of time trying to explain how we should think about God's will and knowing God's will. And a lot of them agree, sometimes they use different words, but a lot of them agree that there's two large buckets that we should talk about when we're discovering God's will together, right? Oz Guinness in his famous book called, uh, or titled The Call, he talks about a general and a specific will of God. I like Andy Crouch. He talks about God's universal and contingent will for your life. That there are two main ideas when it comes to discovering God's will for your life. You have God's universal calling or God's universal will and God's contingent will for your life. And there are universal things that God has planned for each and every one of us, right? We're not talking about universalism. That's a whole different thing. We're talking about God's universal plan that is applied to all believers, everyone in this room and everyone online and everyone in every church across the world. God has a universal calling and will for your life, but there are also specific things that he has just for you. There are specific things that God has designed you for, empowered you for, and they're contingent on who God has created us to be and maybe what's happening in our lives at any given moment, the different ages and stages that we're walking in. And these things can change based on how we're following and walking with God. And during this series, we're going to talk about both of these buckets. We're going to talk about God's universal will, and we're going to talk about his contingent will or contingent plan for your life. We're going to save the specifics for next Sunday. Because without a solid foundation of God's universal will for our life, it's going to be really hard to build anything specific on top of that. The foundation of knowing and understanding God's universal will for your life will support any kind of contingent calling, any kind of contingent will that you might experience. And the stronger your foundation, the more you can build upon it. The weaker your foundation, the, the greater likelihood that that contingent calling will collapse upon itself because you haven't established the foundation to support it. So we're going to start with the foundation. And the foundation for God's will for your life, honestly, it starts on page one of the Bible. It starts in the beginning. We just finished a series on kingdom justice where I presented you with this theological idea that I want to revisit here this morning. It's the theme or the theological topic of Imago Dei. Imago Dei is simply Latin for the image of God. And throughout scripture, we are taught that all of us are created in the image of God. 
And we talked at length over the last four weeks about how sometimes our behaviors don't reflect the image of God, but our person, the way that you were designed, the way he created you, reflects the image of God, his beauty and character, his his nature and his glory, and we reflect his image to the world around us. And we don't do this perfectly. It's why we need forgiveness. It's why we need a savior. It's why we need to continue to follow Jesus. But this incredible theological truth of Imago Dei is where we begin to find God's will for our life. Page one of the Bible. And if you want to dig into this a little bit more as you follow the pages from Genesis to Revelation, it becomes pretty obvious that each and every one of us, God's universal will for each and every one of us is twofold. It's to bear the image of God and restore the image of God in others. To bear the image of God, the way that you were created to reflect his glory, and to restore the very image of God in others who have been hurt, broken, fractured, or are living in pain. This is God's will, and this is God's calling for each and every one of us. And again, just as a reminder, we'll talk about God's specific plan and his contingent plan for you next week. But when you really start to discover God's will for your life, What happens in our culture is we always want to lead with the specific and we want to forget about the universal. We want to to, to know the specific plans and specific will that God has for our life. And in our overemphasis of that, we can forget about God's universal will for all of us. And instead, we need to make sure that the foundation is the foundation and we build upon that, right? The specifics, they usually have a way of working themselves out in your life if you take the foundation seriously. Like if you were really commit yourself to bearing the image of God and restoring the image of God in others, the specific calling and the, and the contingent calling his will over your life that will kind you like, you'll hit the target 90% of the time if you just do those first two things really, really well. And, and so here's what we have to talk about. And this is just a moment of honesty, right? Like a moment, a moment of honesty for all of us. Okay. It's really hard to know. It's really hard to bear the image of God if you don't know what he looks like. Really hard to bear the image of God if you don't know what he looks like. You have to know his nature. You have to know his character. You have to know how he interacted with people when Jesus walked the earth. Otherwise, you're going to end up misrepresenting God. You'll be bearing your own image. You'll be bearing the image of the world. Or, Or you'll be bearing some like, Pretend image of God, you think it's God, but unless you're grounded in the scriptures and the person and the teachings of Jesus Christ, it's really easy to go awry. We need to be fixated on the person of Jesus so that we can see the image of God and begin to bear the image of God to the world around us. Colossians 1.15, the, the very next verse after that prayer that I read, the very next verse says that Jesus Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. Jesus Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. And so if you want to know Who is God? Then look at Jesus Christ. He is God, born in the flesh, demonstrating to us the perfect expression of who God is. That's why reading the Gospels and reading these Bible stories, it's so important. It's part of the reason why church is so valuable for your spiritual growth and maturity. 
Because honestly, we can go to the left and we can go to the right. And when we gather on Sundays and we hear God's word taught and we gather for worship and we pray for one another, it's like guardrails so that when you begin to color outside the lines, this theological base has already been planted and it's hard to go too far to the right or to the left. This is incredibly valuable for us. And once we realize who God is, then it's just putting it into practice. It's beginning to bear out that image in everything that we do. I mean, one of the reasons why we're so big on sharing our faith and inviting people to church isn't just because we just want to feel better about ourselves. It's because Jesus talked about his faith all the time. And he was always inviting people along this journey of spirituality and to follow him. And so we want our lives to look like his. We want to bear his image. And so we're inviting people along on the journey. We, we invite you to sacrificial giving at this church, not because we need to have uh, bigger boxes and we need to have a bigger budget. It's because your generosity and your sacrificial giving reflects the generosity of God and it displays to the world the very image of God. He's been so generous to us. We don't give out of burden. We give out of worship, out of reflection of his generosity to us. It's, it's why we encourage you to forgive, like all the time, forgive and forgive and forgive. Not because it's easy. It's actually really painful if you really lean into forgiveness. But we forgive because Christ died so that we could be forgiven. And as we forgive those who have hurt us, it's a reflection of his beauty. And we begin to bear the image of God in the world around us. This is God's will for each and every one of us. That's why it's so important to know who Jesus Christ is. That's why it's so important to, to fix your mind and your heart and your life on the stories found in the gospel. Because Jesus is the visible image of the invisible God. And of course, that phrase, it had two parts, right? So this is just the beginning. It doesn't just start and stop with you. Remember, part of God's universal will for your life is to bear the image of God, but it's also to restore the image of God in others. God's will for your life is to participate in the restoring of his image in others. And that means everyone you meet. That means everyone you meet. It means in big ways and it means in small ways. And most of the time, it's going to be in really small ways. And for many of us, it's going to start in our own homes. We can actively participate with God in restoring the image-bearing nature of those who are closest to us. And then it will leak out into our school and into our neighborhoods and into our workplaces and in all of our relationships. But this is part of God's universal will for your life to begin restoring the image of God in others. So we're all broken, right? I mean, we're all hurting. We all mess up. And in one way or another, we're, we're all growing. And, and as the family of God, then, we're, we're called to see the image-bearing nature in each one of us and begin to call that out and remind one another who we are in Christ. Because we forget. We forget. And when we make mistakes, the shame and the anxiety can come. And that's when we need our brothers and sisters to come around us and say, no, you're creating the image of God. Let's walk together again. Let's walk forward together again. I mean, you are, this is, I mean, it's, it, it's, a so, it's such a simple theological truth, but it's so important. You are created in the image of God, and you're called to restore it in everyone else. And if you're creating the image of God, by the way, it means that everyone's creating the image of God. All of humanity is created in the image of God. There's no qualifiers to that. You don't get to like pick and choose. We're all created in the image of God, right? We're, we're showing it in different ways. Of course we are. 
We're attracted to certain images of God, maybe more than others, by our personality and our temperament, but the reality is we're all created in the image of God. I saw this really funny t-shirt just a while ago. It said, you're special, just like everyone else. <laughs> right? I thought, man, now there is a theological t-shirt, right? Like, if you want to get some Christian paraphernalia, like, that is the t-shirt. You're special, just like everyone else. You bear the image of God, just like everyone else. You bear the image of God, just like everyone else. Now, let's go find the fractured places of society and be the salt and the light to the earth. Let's go find the broken places all around us, and let's help restore the image of God to those near us. Look, the, the problem for a lot of us is that we're hurting people leading hurting people. It's kind of, a, it's kind of a, an equation for disaster, isn't it? We're hurting people leading hurting people. At least we have a healing God. That's a really good thing for us. We are broken people leading broken people to a perfect God. And if you think about that reality, like a hurting people leading hurting people, the the statistical probability of us messing something up is really high when hurting people are leading hurting people. I mean, the odds that we are going to mess that up is really, really high. But God is the master. God is the master at using inadequate people to accomplish his perfect will. And he has something for each and every one of us in this room. Part of God's will for your life is to discover the broken, fractured, hurting parts of the world and join him in the restoration of all of those things. And nobody is disqualified from this ministry. Nobody is disqualified from this ministry because the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ is more powerful than your mistakes. It's more powerful than your mistakes. Nothing will separate you from God's love and nothing will separate you from God's will. to bear the image and restore the image in others. As we <clears throat> move about our, our time together on Sunday mornings, if you've been with us for any length of time, you know that after every sermon, we always have moments of quiet reflection after the sermon where we can kind of sit and pray and really discern what God is saying to us and how he's speaking to us. But before we get to that point, I just kind of want to summarize the foundation that we're building together. I want to summarize what it is that we're talking about, right? And it starts by knowing that God has a universal will that applies to each and every one of us, that his will is knowable, that it can be discerned and it can be applied to your life. It's not some giant mystery, but he will make it plain for you. And in scriptures from page one on, it's, it's quite simple. We are to bear the image and restore the image of God. And just a side note, like it, it doesn't act, you don't actually bear the image of God if you're always living less than who he's created you to be. Like if you are always silencing who God has created you to be, you are officially not bearing the image of God. So be the fullness of who God has created you to be. But just make sure it's his version and not your version or the world's version or, or anything like that. And at the same time, we need to pray that we would have eyes to see like the Father sees, trusting in God that he'll redeem your story, but then right out as he's redeeming it, not after he's redeemed it, but as he's redeeming your story, he's thrusting you out in the world to be part of someone else's redemption as well. And next week, we'll talk a lot about the specific. We'll talk a lot about the, the contingent calling upon your life, but we can't build those specific things unless this foundation is built. This is where we have to start. 
And so at the vineyard, as we prepare, uh, after this sermon, we prepare for our time of reflection. I, I just want to reverse the timing of this just a little bit. We're going to do our time of reflection, but I want to pray before we enter into this because what I really want to do is I want to read this passage over you one more time. And, and I'm trusting God that he's going to speak to you as I read this prayer. I'm trusting God that he'll highlight a few phrases for you, that he's speaking specifically to you, right? If you think about this prayer, again, just the whole landscape, it starts by knowing God's will and being filled with power and wisdom. And then it moves on to this beautiful phrase about being transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And I imagine we all want to know God's will, but I also imagine there are some of us who need to be rescued today rescued from the kingdom of darkness, thrust into the kingdom of light. And there probably are some of us that need to be rescued for the very first time and need to pledge your allegiance to Jesus this morning and give him your life and say, from this day forward, I'm going to follow you as best as I can. So let's prepare to sit quietly in his presence. Trust that God has something for you in this prayer as I read it over all of us this morning. Pray with me. So we have not stopped praying for you since we first heard about you. We ask God to give you complete knowledge of his will and to give you spiritual wisdom and understanding. Then the way you live will always honor and please the Lord and your lives will produce every kind of good fruit. All the while you will grow as you learn to know God better and better. We also pray that you will be strengthened with all his glorious power so you will have the endurance and patience you need. May you be filled with joy, always thanking the Father. He has enabled you to share in the inheritance that belongs to his people who live in the light. For he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. Lord, let it be so. In Jesus' name, amen.